Hello and welcome to another episode of Something Healthy. It is currently Thanksgiving week. Thanksgiving is technically two days away and even though I don't really have any major plans for Thanksgiving, I mean I was kind of, I was thinking about maybe going away but I'm not really supposed to be traveling right now so I'm just sitting my ass in the house I think. TBA, I'm still like 5% of me wants to leave, but um, I think I'm just going to be here. But I think because it's kind of like the holiday-ish time, we're getting into that time. It just hit me that I haven't had a drink in like over seven months. And as I was sitting down to record this episode... Somehow not drinking hasn't really bothered me that much until recently. Like, of course, I've missed it. And if you know anything about me, like, I love wine. I love drinking. And not in an alcoholic way, I hope. I don't think. Like, I can stop if I need to. I mean, clearly, whatever. Um, And I'll go weeks in my own life, my own non-pregnant life without drinking. But I do love to have a drink. Like, I love to have a glass of wine in the afternoon. I love a margarita. I love good tequila. I like, I wrote about wine for a long time. I went to wine school. Like I worked in a wine bar. I, you know, this is, it's a passion for me, but I wonder sometimes if I made it a passion because I just wanted an excuse to drink. But anyway, today, this afternoon, it's Tuesday afternoon, which is not really a time to be getting drunk, but something about this afternoon, I'm like, I wish I could have a drink. And it might be because what I'm about to talk about requires a little bit of stupidity. And sometimes when I drink, like I'm a social, I'm really a social drinker. And especially when I used to, when I would travel and do a lot of other people's podcasts and stuff like that, I always, like when I did No Jumper or any bigger podcast, I always like to drink because I have this, you know, potentially false assumption that when I drink, it makes what I say a little bit more interesting. And it like opens my mind up to new ideas, which is, I think what stoners and people who smoke weed tell themselves also maybe weed and drugs and stuff. It's a little bit more effective in that regard. Like that's what people say about weed anyways. That's what they always say is that, you know, it opens your mind up and and all of that kind of bullshit. I don't smoke weed. I've never had that experience on weed. It makes me feel like I'm dying. So I could not tell you, but I think with drinking, it doesn't necessarily make what you're saying more interesting. It just makes what you, you think that what you're saying is more interesting. And usually when I'm drinking, I'm around people who are also drinking. And so we're able to engage in more heated discussions because we just feel a little bit more passionately about what we're saying and we're a little bit less inhibited and it just makes the conversation flow a little bit easier, but it's not actually that what you're saying is more interesting. I don't think like it's, it's not like your you know, your IQ is going up because you did three shots of Casamigos. It just feels like things are a little bit easier to say. And I really, I shouldn't be proud of this. (laughs) I should not be proud of this, but I've been watching a lot of Twitch. I think I touched on it in the last episode at the end. I said like my generation and, and younger kids, people younger than me, we're kind of watching Twitch now for companionship, the way that our parents used to watch like the shopping channel or Jeopardy or whatever. You kind of just have it on in the background and there's something that's, you know, inherently sad about that because we're all just like, 
not all of us. Let me not speak for all of us, but me personally, it's like I'm isolated. I've kind of isolated myself on purpose, but also just by circumstance. And sometimes you just want to have like something on in the background to just kind of keep you company and you don't need to pay attention to it all the time. The point is to not pay attention to it all the time. Cause if you did, you would go crazy because if you listen to a lot of these streamers, they, it's very repetitive and they do a lot of the same things over and over, like no hate to them, but you know, they shout out the subscribers. They play the same song on a loop. Like Kai Sinat plays that song, like bust down Roly avalanche, whatever. It's like on a loop forever. And if you just actually pay attention and listen, listen, like you will go insane. But to have it on in the background is it's just like a little bit soothing and a little bit entertaining and comforting. And then once in a while, not once in a while, they will punctuate that repetitiveness with moments of like genuine entertainment and things that are really, really funny. And last night, Kai had on Blueface and his girlfriend, Krishan Rock. And I watched it because as a 30-year-old woman who lives alone, I reserve the right to watch 20-somethings uh, go on fucking e-dates on Twitch. No, I don't think it wasn't an e-date. Like they're, they're together. But I mean, I have watched the e-dates too. Um, and that is my right. That is my right to watch... Kids go on e-dates on Twitch as a 30-year-old woman. No, I, I feel crazy when I watch that shit. Like, I kind of do when I see myself from a rational perspective. Like, bro, what are we doing? Like, is there anything better we could be doing with our time? There must be something better we could be doing with our time. And the answer is, yes, of course, there are better things that I could be doing with my time. However, I want to watch e-dates on Twitch. As a grown adult, 30-year-old woman, that is what I reserve the right to do with my time. But no, yesterday was weird when I was watching Blueface and Krishan Rock because I I know a lot of people love her. A lot of women love Krishan Rock. A lot of people really like her. Like she's a huge reality TV star. She has a big following. People seem to like her antics. And if you're not familiar, she is, as I said, Blueface's girlfriend, but she I don't really know her whole backstory. She's from Baltimore. She came up on Blueface's show Bad Girls Club, I think, or whatever. But she's pretty much like known for starting drama and fights and always fighting with Blueface. She lied about him like hitting her apparently, which is, I, I think, a huge disservice to like women in general when you lie about getting assaulted or abused. Because now if it actually happens to you, God forbid, like people are less likely to believe you and less likely to believe others. So I think that in itself is like fucked up, but she just always starts fights. She always starts shit with people. And me personally, I feel like I'm one of the only people that doesn't like her. Like I don't like people who just always start shit when they're drinking. I don't like people who always just start fights. When I look at women who are in relationships with men who they constantly fight with, who they constantly start fights with. I don't understand these women because I've never, like I, this is probably a toxic trait of mine, but I feel like if I were to start that many fights with any man I've ever dated, he would have left me like 20 minutes into the relationship. Like the amount of fights that this woman starts and the fact that Blueface is still with her is, it's fascinating to me, but it's also just like, it's cringy to watch. It's like a train wreck. Like you want to look away, but you can't really look away. And you just, you don't really understand what's going on, but you just keep watching. So as I was watching the stream yesterday, losing brain cells, I, 
eventually I had to turn it off because it just got too cringy. Like all respect to Kai, not that my respect matters in any way, but like he was doing his best, I think, to be the glue to keep the, you know, pseudo interview live stream together. But she was just starting fights with like everyone involved, everyone in the room. And, you know, that's just me personally, not my confrontation style. And there's something about watching someone constantly start fights with people that just makes me uncomfortable. But what was crazy is that as, you know, they're having a very dull, lifeless conversation and it's frankly, like, I can't even understand what Krishan is saying. I can't, I literally get like one, one in every four words makes sense to me and the rest, it doesn't make sense. Like what she says, she's like speaking a different language. It's like Kodak has his own language, but Kodak I can understand. And I love Kodak and he is unarguably, inarguably an absolute legend. But with this woman, Krishan, I just, it's hard to even catch what she's saying. It's hard to understand it. And then they're not even really talking about anything on top of that. So it's like, what are we even watching here? All we're really watching is like waiting for this woman to start, I guess, a fight with somebody. But we're also kind of praying that she doesn't because there's like security in the room and that might go not the best for the other people in the room. Like, what are we doing here? And the craziest part about it is like, meanwhile, there's 150,000 live viewers. So there's 150,000 people just tuned into the live stream. Never mind all the people that are going to be watching afterwards that, you know, we're at work or we're doing something and couldn't watch in the moment. That's a huge reach. That's a huge audience. And even though I had to turn it off eventually, because I just... To be honest with you, there was another Twitch streamer that I would rather watch instead. <laughs> he was streaming at the same time. Um, but I, so I turned it off. I was like, I'm, I'm good. But what it made me realize is like Twitch is becoming a massive platform, obviously, right? It's been a big platform, but I think more and more it's just becoming like the new television in so many ways. And in the same way that I think TikTok captivated younger kids a few years ago and a lot of like older people and even myself included a few years ago were like, oh, what's TikTok? I'm not going to be on that. I can't be doing all that. I already have like Instagram and Twitter and I have too much social media already. Why would I go on TikTok? And then now it's like, obviously I'm on TikTok, duh. Uh, Hashtag mom talk, hashtag whatever. But I think Twitch is in a similar place where TikTok was a few years ago, where it's like every young person ever is on it and they're just watching it like it's TV. And eventually it will become even more like television, even more so than it already is. But with these hundreds of thousands of people watching this woman, Krishan Rock, who I'm, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit I'm a hater in my heart. I'm a hater when it comes to her. I don't like her at all. The internet is in such a weird place right now. The fact that we have hundreds of thousands of people tuning into a live stream like that, which it's no judgment on Kai or anything with his Twitch channel. He is one of the biggest streamers and he's amazing at what he does. But the fact that a stream like that with Krishan is able to cultivate such a huge audience. Even though Kai has big audiences on his own, the fact that this stream in particular is still able to cultivate such a huge audience, it just made me think like the internet is in such an odd place right now. And I don't know if we're all just bored. I don't know if we're all just clinging for something, clinging for some kind of fucking meaning, some kind of entertainment, but somewhere between where 
actual plots and storylines got lost for the sake of content creation, for the sake of virality, for the sake of more views. And this is, by the way, not to shit on things that are viral. They're viral for a reason because they hit a nerve. It doesn't mean that they're stupid. It doesn't mean they're not interesting because something is viral. Absolutely the opposite. It means that it is interesting and it is saying something bigger that the rest of us couldn't tap into because if we could tap into it, we would be viral too. But you have to admit that we lost the plot. We lost a lot of plots. We lost storylines. We lost a lot of like storytelling kind of when we swapped it out for quick bites of content. And frankly, this isn't even about Krishan Rock, even though she is one mind numbing brain cell losing part component of virality on the internet. What it brought to mind for me is something that a hole, if anything, that I've been sucked into, a black hole that I've been sucked into more than Krishan Rock has ever pulled me into her antics because, frankly, I just I don't have the patience. I'm too old and I don't care. But something I've noticed that's very popular, very popular across the board. And, of course, it's a topic that's always existed, but it's never really existed in this capacity and in such a mainstream way as it exists now. And that is spirituality, in particular, extreme versions of spirituality, but very misguided versions. Something that I would categorize under the umbrella term of toxic spirituality. And the reason that it's toxic is because if you have ever spent any time scrolling through TikTok or whatever platform and stumbled across like tarot talk or these tarot readers on TikTok, what you'll usually find is that everybody in the, most people in the comments, and even when that video is coming up on your For You page, it's usually finding you when you're at your lowest, when you are at like your most desperate point in search of guidance. The algorithm knows when you're just grasping at any fucking straw to stay alive and it's going to feed you exactly what is going to keep you going, what's going to keep you engaged, what's going to keep you watching. And usually that means feeding you a video that's like, your husband is coming, your money is coming in, manifest it, manifest it. Yo, the the king of swords card, that means that, you know, everything will be corrected, everything will be perfect. And it's not that anything is necessarily wrong with being positive about the future, you need to be positive and delusional to some extent. I mean, we all are. I'm extremely delusional about the future. Otherwise, I would be in a mental asylum right now. Like if I actually thought about my future and like, okay, I'm alone. I'm a single mom. Like, how am I going to make this work for the next 50 years? I don't fucking know. But every so everybody needs some level of delusion just to like compute through the day. But this level of delusion that the spiritual internet purveyors give us, I'll be the first one to say it is, it's not healthy. And everything ultimately, not everything, but most things, especially on the internet are, you know, a funnel back into some sort of business. They're about making money. So a lot of these spiritual coaches will charge for readings. They'll charge for private coaching sessions. They'll charge for their online courses there. You know, there's all, there's a bevy of things that they will charge for. And I've even seen like 
it's so fucked up when you actually think about it because me as a 30 year old woman, I am not, I'm, I'm an idiot, but I'm not impressionable. I'm not quite impressionable enough to fall for a lot of these schemes. Like I've been around the block a few times at this point. I kind of know what it is, but if I was 17, 18, 16, hell 13, I was on the internet alone at 13 and it was a very different, much less regulated internet than it is now. If I was younger, if I was a teenager, I would absolutely fall for a lot of this stuff. And I probably would have been paying them. Some of these coaches, like I, there's this one woman, she charges $35 for a course, a private manifestation course or coaching session. I don't even know what she's calling it. But the point is the purpose of the course is to get whoever you want to be obsessed with you. How sick is that? Like, you know how people will do online readings and give manifestation tips of like how to make him obsessed with you, manifest that he is your husband, blah, blah, blah. There are people literally selling courses about how to make someone obsessed with you with like fucked up dark magic. Whether or not you believe in it or not, it's irrelevant. That's so sick. And that is preying so heavily on people's most like fundamental basic instincts of just like wanting to be accepted, wanting to be loved, wanting affection. Like, and you're selling these vulnerable people courses about how to make someone obsessed with you. First of all, obsession isn't even a healthy thing. Anyone who's actually been like obsessed or infatuated by somebody, me, for example, I can recognize it's not healthy. Nobody should be in that place. And if you are in that place, you need to consciously pull yourself out of it and be like, okay, this is just a person. What am I doing? But the fact that these courses are going unchecked and these people are going unchecked is crazy. And every time a new spiritual tarot card reading motherfucker comes on my for you page, I check their following. I check their page and they have, you know, they're growing their platforms. There's only more and more people who want to follow these people. And I will be the first to admit as well. I follow some of them. Okay. I'm not big enough to say that I've completely eliminated it from my life. However, there are still grounded ways to be spiritual. Spirituality in itself is not a bad thing at all, but the way that it is repurposed and repackaged and sold back to us online lately, it does make me like, it makes me a little bit, it makes me feel a little bit gross. Like something is off with it. And I just, I know it's off and I just wanted to speak on it a little bit, but I do believe there are grounded ways to be spiritual. There are important concepts in spirituality. And maybe I'm just now like contradicting myself by saying, I still follow some of these readers on TikTok. Some of them I like, I'm, I'll <laughs> admit it. That's why I'm talking about this because I've, I've, I've seen enough. I've been fed enough to see what's right and what's wrong and what is kind of fucked up and dark. But, you know, in the same way that you can practice religion in a way that benefits your life, you can practice spirituality in the same way. However, this rise in manifestation coaches that are charging $35 for private classes to manifest some shit that, like, you just don't do that. Don't manifest some shit you probably shouldn't even have. Even if you shouldn't have it, you're not going to get it. Like, just selling you bullshit, this rise in these manifestation coaches it's a little concerning. I would be, I'm a little bit like, 
I hope anyone that is super vulnerable doesn't fall for this shit, even though I know it's too late and a lot of people already have, judging by the hundreds of thousands, the millions of people that follow these coaches. I just hope that they go away soon, even though I I know they won't. But as manifesting gets rebranded into kind of being like the new form of hard work, which is really what's happened, I feel a definite shift away from working hard in the traditional sense in favor of leisure and positivity. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There will always be people who work hard and grind, obviously. But I think a lot of us have seen it, like, at least for me, you know, I, like I spoke about on the last episode, I got a degree, I did all my internships, I worked my ass off, I got some nine to five jobs. I really grinded. And while I'm grateful for that to some extent, and I had an okay career, I've had an okay career so far. It definitely wasn't a recipe for like success in any way. Hard work definitely didn't equal financial success, especially, especially for the field that I chose, which was like journalism and writing. You could work your ass off. You could grind for your whole life and maybe never touch a million dollars. That's just literally, that's just the reality of situations in certain industries. So culturally, as we shift to a more passive outlook on work and embrace manifesting more and more, which is, I think, what's happening, I guess it's inevitable that these manifestation coaches will rise up like fucking phoenixes from the ashes and sell their $40 courses on getting someone obsessed with you and love spells and money spells. And maybe it's inevitable. It's human nature that we take something good and we kind of over romanticize it and over hype it to the point where then we have to like take a step back and we kind of over hype it to the point that it's destined to fail. We do this with a bunch of stuff actually, now that I'm thinking about it, not just manifesting. We do this with literally everything. Like somebody who I have really enjoyed recently just as a, as a public person, I love her TikToks, Julia Fox. Um, and usually my knee-jerk reaction to people like Julia, like Emily Ratajkowski, for example, which I think occupies a very similar space to Julia Fox. My knee-jerk reaction to Emily Ratajkowski was initially like, fuck this, fuck her. Like, why is she doing this? Why is she being a writer? She's a model. Like, can she just do that and like leave the writing to the rest of us, to the actual writers, please? Like, stop trying to do everything. Stop trying to be this like super feminist, woke, perfect woman. I don't know, something about women like that, my knee-jerk reaction is to be like, ah, fuck this. Like, this is fake. This is fake news. Just being completely honest. But with Julia, um, I, I love her. I love her, her takes. Like I'm genuinely a fan. And by the way, like now I don't mind Emily Ratajkowski. It's whatever. I think my initial reaction to somebody like her probably came from a place of insecurity, but regardless, even with people like Julia Fox, we're taking it too far. Like you're setting it up. You're setting her up on such a high pedestal that when she falls, when she missteps, when she inevitably says the wrong thing, which she actually did this week by saying like, oh, I dated Kanye only for a month and he wasn't really wilding out when I was dating him. And as soon as he started tweeting, I left. And so it's not my fault. Like I didn't know anything. A lot of people were really mad about her reaction or her commentary on dating Kanye that she gave on TikTok this week. And a lot of people were like, oh, I knew that like she was so problematic. White women are so problematic, which fair enough. But 
when you set someone up, when you put someone on such a high pedestal, they will inevitably fall. Like the same thing happened. And I hate to use this person as a point of reference, but I have to, I have to do it. I'm sorry. Lena Dunham, Lena Dunham, Dunham. I don't know how to say her. I don't know why I don't know how to say her last name. It's a very basic, simple white last name, Dunham, whatever. Lena Dunham, the creator of Girls, the show on HBO, which if you are my age-ish, if you're in your late 20s, early 30s, you can't deny that you watched Girls or you were at least not a hater of Girls for some period of time in the mid-2010s. Like, Girls was that show. It was essentially the new Sex in the City. Was it slightly problematic for not really including any people of color in their main cast? Yes, it was. However, the discourse around girls at that time was different and people did embrace it. It was a big cultural phenomenon and people liked or at least appreciated Lena Dunham enough to put her, you know, in magazines, on covers, give her interviews, hype her the fuck up. And as soon as she started opening her mouth and people started poking holes in her logic and being like, okay, wait, she's kind of like extremely problematic and kind of racist and kind of like just completely out of touch and not somebody that we should be putting on a pedestal. She fell so hard from the place of grace that we had put her in. She fell so hard. And now she's like, I mean, you, you bring up her name as a punchline. But there was a time where she was very culturally relevant and very respected. And it's not that I think the same thing exactly per se will happen to Julia Fox. We're in a different time. Julia Fox is a different type of person. Like, I'm not saying the same thing is going to happen, but I'm saying when you hype someone up so much, they will inevitably disappoint you. It's like when you meet your idols, they're going to disappoint you. And just to prove my point, because I like to prove my point, I opened Twitter recently and I saw this tweet like literally from yesterday. It's from, I don't know, some user. And it says, when Julia Fox releases her book, I'm going to read it with a highlighter as if it were the Old Testament. And it has 60,000 likes. This is what I'm talking about. Like you put so much pressure on someone to be the perfect version of a celebrity that you want to look up to. They're going to fucking disappoint you. Like, I would even bet that Julia Fox's book is going to piss some people off and disappoint a lot of people because people are hyping it up so much. But anyway, I personally do like her, even though she is flawed like the rest of us. Maybe because she is flawed like the rest of us, I like her. And I like following her mom adventures in New York City. Not that she posts that much of like her daily life, but she'll just post like a video talking, walking down the street in New York with her son and... I'm here for it. And it almost makes me think like, I mean, I've actually been entertaining this idea in the back of my mind a lot recently. I'm not moving right now. I'm staying in Atlanta for now. Like I have my house here. And frankly, I don't get a tax break until I've stayed in my house for a year anyways. Um, And the market's weird right now too. A bunch of reasons. And I'm having a baby. Like the nursery is, is built here, you know. We're not, we're not leaving anytime soon. I'm not packing the moving boxes and calling the, the pickup truck. However, I miss New York so much. And I realized I left in such a hasty way where I didn't even really get a chance to say goodbye or think about what I was doing. I was really in just like a state of 
panic and shock and delusional optimism that I would have a job in Atlanta managing like that comedian or whatever. And I just felt like, okay, life is about taking chances. Let's take this chance. Let's just go. And at the time I didn't have a place in New York. I didn't really have a place anywhere. And Atlanta kind of like was this landing pad for me where as soon as I got here, like that guy who eventually broke my heart into a million pieces on New Year's Eve, let me stay with him. He just made me feel comfortable and at home. And I was kind of like heartbroken already. So it just, it made sense to be here. And then, you know, I started stripping and I made a lot of money and it felt like, okay, this is a place where I have someone that makes me feel comfortable. This this is a place where I'm making more money than I've ever made. This is a place where I can see a future, not necessarily forever, but for right now, I have more stability here than I've had in New York and it's easier. It's cheaper. New York is so hard to survive. Like you gotta, you gotta hustle so hard just to keep a roof over your head, just to pay rent. And for what you're stuck on a hamster wheel. Cause you're paying rent. You're not even owning anything. Like New York is hard. It, it's a hard place to live unless you're making good money. And I was never making good money while I was there because I still haven't figured out a way to legitimately make good money. Like I haven't figured it out. And it's one of my biggest insecurities and sources of anxiety. Cause I'm like, I'm 30 years old. I cannot go back to the strip club. I do not want to go back. It costs me more than it's worth, like spiritually, emotionally, physically, everything. However, it's still the best way that I know how to make money. And I hate that because I literally have a degree and I literally have a career and stripping is literally the best way that I know how to make money. What the fuck is that? Like what world do we live in where that is the actual reality of life? What the fuck? So anyway, didn't mean to go on that tangent, but I miss New York so much. And sometimes watching people like Julia Fox on TikTok, just walking through the streets of Manhattan, it just makes me like, fuck, I need to move back. Like I need to, I think I need to. And especially for my child, I didn't grow up in New York, obviously, but I grew up, I think in similar environments where it was like a busy city with a very diverse socioeconomic just group of people. You're exposed to so much, especially like for me, where I grew up in Vancouver. At first I went to like I lived in a place called Spyglass, Google Maps it, Google Earth it. It's literally government subsidized housing um, on the, oh my God, <laughs> I haven't been in Vancouver in so long, the west side of Vancouver. No, the east side, on the cusp of the east side of Vancouver. Uh, and I went to public school, but then my parents won the lottery and my dad bought a Bentley and I went to public high school for a year, but then I transferred to a wealthier high school that wasn't in my, where, where we lived. It was like 40 minutes away, a 40 minute drive away. My dad would drive me every morning and it was on the West side, which is the expensive part of Vancouver, the rich part. And I was in this dance program where I know some people who are, were in the dance program with me, listen to this podcast, but like First of all, there were a lot of wealthy people at our school, at least more wealthy people than I had been exposed to previously at my other schools. Um, kids would drive to school in their parents' Mercedes and whatever. One kid that I went to, that I graduated with, his parents had a private jet. Like there were neighboring private schools around us who the kids' parents were, they were all rich. They all owned the multi-million dollar homes and mansions on the west side of Vancouver. And Vancouver real estate is crazy. It's so expensive. It was then and it is now. 
But even within like the dance community that I was a part of, because I did ballet and shit, that's the reason I transferred to that school. There were a lot of people in that program that were way wealthier than me also. And I would go over to their homes and like, you know, they would have these beautiful houses and like these amazing parents that would like stock the fridge with all this like organic food and don't get me wrong like by the time I was in high school my parents weren't poor but the people that I was in high school with they were much wealthier than me and it exposed me to I think something that was so important which is like seeing the possibilities of what's actually available to you and what you can accomplish and what your life can look like and not only just seeing it but offering those connections to others not that anyone that I went to school with necessarily to high school with or like anything like that necessarily helped me in any way professionally but just still knowing wealthier people I think is literally so critical in your development and I know that's gonna sound fucked up to some people I I get that it goes both ways you have to be you have to be raised around people who have less than you and you have to be raised around people who have more than you so you can see the scope of it like I'm grateful that I always went to public school I'm grateful that I went to school especially elementary school with kids who like didn't have a lot we just no like people did not have a lot mostly immigrants like just like my parents were there was every different type of language spoken in the elementary school that I went to like my neighbors even in the building that I lived in it was like Romanian Russian Chinese like every different type of ethnicity single parent homes it was just you know every different type of family structure that I was exposed to from a very young age and every different type of socioeconomic situation and I'm so grateful for that because if you grow up in only one like type of neighborhood around one type of person, I can't imagine what your perspective would be. And I, my biggest priority, I think with my kid is like the last thing I want is for them to only be exposed to one type of thing. Like they're going to know every different type of socioeconomic situation. Even if I'm not the richest, like they will see the richest, but they will also see like what it's like to really not have a lot not that we won't have a lot I plan on us having a good amount all the time but like they will know people that have less and more and that's it's it's just it's so critical to your development I think and to your success later in life and I actually the reason I'm saying all this is because there was a study that I really want to talk about this is so interesting to me and it proves this point completely, but there was a huge study that I just found. It was published in the journal Nature and it analyzed 72 million friendships. And what it found was that children who live in areas where people have more friendships that cut across class lines. So think like New York City, you know, depending, and probably not like the Upper East Side, but different boroughs, big cities, just diverse places. Kids who grow up in places like that, they have friendships that cut across class lines. It significantly increases how much they earn in adulthood. This was a study, a legit study. They analyzed 72 million friendships. It was published in the journal Nature. If you grow up in diversity, you increase your earning potential later in life. And I absolutely believe that because you see what the world is actually like. You don't have a narrow view of that life is either really easy or really hard and that's how it's always going to be and that's how it has to be. 
it's so important. Um, okay. What else do I want to say about this? Researchers found that it, so diversity, socioeconomic diversity specifically is a better predictor of a community's upward mobility than any other statistics studied that includes schools, how good a school is, family structure, whether it's a single family home, single parent home, which we all know it's not ideal, job availability, racial composition, socioeconomic diversity is more powerful in terms of a child's success than any of these other factors. That is huge. Like that just justifies almost how, I don't know, not how I've lived my life, but the places that I'm drawn to are always very diverse in terms of economics. I, I, I love expensive bougie ass shit, obviously, but I feel very uncomfortable if I'm only in a place that involves that. I think that's why, like, for example, St. Moritz in Switzerland, when I went there, I don't know if I've told this story before, but it's a very expensive part of Switzerland. The the hotel that I stayed at, I think I have told this story, was, you know, $5,000 a night. St. Moritz is fucking expensive. It's like Aspen on cocaine. Like, it is expensive only designer boutiques rich russian people like a few extremely wealthy upper east side new yorkers and that is it like it is exclusive and it is expensive as shit and it was beautiful but i felt so uncomfortable staying there and i remember i like tweeted a joke about trump or something and the people who had organized my trip for me because i was on assignment for vogue the people who had organized my trip for me i guess were monitoring my twitter and i got in trouble I literally got in trouble. Like I'm a grown ass woman and I got in trouble for like joking about the place, but I made a joke because I was uncomfortable because everything was so rich and so perfect. I love places where you have both sides. Obviously the ideal is to not end up on the lower income side. Nobody wants to be there, but you kind of need a balance of both to have a place that is not only interesting, but livable, but like real, you know what I mean? And that's not to say like we need, you know, skid rows in America. America's fucked when it comes to socioeconomic diversity because we have such a small middle class and there's a few billionaires and then people who are genuinely struggling to pay for their utilities. And then even below them, people who don't even have places to live. Meanwhile, it's the richest country in the world. Like I'm not talking that type of socioeconomic diversity. I actually think that there should be a basic income that everybody gets just to pay for basic housing and utilities and food. Like at this point in the economy, I f- like late stage capitalism, wherever the fuck we are, I really believe that like some basic income actually would improve the economy and improve people's lives and improve outcomes so much because the fact that there's literally people working like three or four jobs and they're still struggling we should be so embarrassed and disgusted at ourselves because there are billions of dollars just sitting in bank accounts doing absolutely nothing. And Elon just got a $44 billion loan pretty much to buy fucking Twitter. Like money doesn't mean anything. What is that even like? That is such an absurd number that there should be basic income. People should not be struggling people in that way. If they're working full time, people should not be out on the streets like new mothers because I'm going through this now, you shouldn't have to leave your child to work like a week after it's born. None of this makes any sense. And all of this is inhumane, the way that our economy and late, late stage capitalism operates, in my opinion. However, to have some socioeconomic diversity is, 
I think important because there's going to be people who are really rich and there's going to be people who are not that rich and they're kind of poor. That's just what life is unless you live in communism, which I'm good on that. I don't want communism. Thank you very much. My family came from communism and I, I think it's an evil thing, but having some socioeconomic, socioeconomic diversity is important. And isn't it interesting? It improves outcomes more than anything else more than anything else. So I'm just using that to justify moving back to New York City because not now, not now. I hope even like to spend more time on the East Coast, up there, New York-ish area soon. Um, I'm not going to give my place up here in Atlanta though yet, but I hope eventually I can just sell this place and move back to New York because I think it's a great place. Well, I don't know if it's a great place to grow up. It's very expensive and I would have to figure that out. But it seems like the ideal, one of the ideal places to grow up, to be honest with you. There's, I mean, you're a fucking New Yorker. Like if you're, you're raised in New York, I don't know. Atlanta scares me in terms of having it be the place where you raise a kid and that's all they're really exposed to because Atlanta, the South is so different and communities are so much more segregated and even the part of Atlanta I live in it's not the richest part I mean I'm not worried about what my kid will be exposed to here I guess because I always make sure that she's exposed to you know different types of people but I I don't I don't know Atlanta's just different it's not as diverse and I just can't see myself staying here for like the next 20 years, if I'm being completely honest. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong and I will stay, but something about New York City, man, it's pulling me back. Even Jersey, to be honest, like in that area, I need to go back. But anyway, interesting study. Very interesting study, in my opinion. I think I'm going to start sharing more studies on this podcast, by the way, because something that I actually used to take a lot of pleasure in and that used to bring me a lot of joy was pouring through studies when I was writing about food. I loved like, I mean, in journalism, you usually have to cite two or three studies depending on the type of article that you're writing. But I do really enjoy, I enjoy reading them. I mean, not reading them in depth because I don't even have access to most of them and I'm not paying like $500 a year to get access to some fucking journal. I'm just not doing it, but, um, it's fun for me. Like it's interesting. Tell me if you guys think it's interesting or if you think it's fucking boring, but last thing I'm going to say about this, there's this theory that I was exposed to on TikTok recently that like you are the average of the five closest people in your life. So you're somewhere in the middle of the five closest people in your life. That's just like a law of relationships or something. And I didn't know about this theory. Apparently it's very prominent and common, but it got me thinking like, okay, who are the five closest people in my life? And am I kind of the average of them? And the answer is kind of yes, which is creepy, which makes you think, okay, the five closest people in my life, they better be up. (laughs) It's time to start cutting some dead weight. I'm kidding. But that is interesting. And it makes sense because like your friendships will influence how you carry yourself. They'll influence how hard you work. They'll influence who you are. So, you know, of course, if, if the five closest people in your life have 
not a lot going on and not a lot of money, it might not motivate you in the same way. It probably won't motivate you in the same way. Um, and just, it won't influence you in the same way compared to if your friends are more up and have more going on. So anyway, something to think about. That's all I really wanted to talk about today. Three kind of random subjects. I really tried to like weave them together, which I don't know if I really need to be like connecting everything. It's kind of how my mind works anyways, though, so it's inevitable. But yeah, I hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving if you're celebrating it. And if you're in the U.S., drink lots of wine for me, please. And I cannot wait to join you, hopefully, in a few weeks. Good night.